Blog Talk Radio.
of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Uh, today is Saturday, November uh, the 13th, uh, 2021. We are broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, to another edition of our program Later on in our program, we'll be bringing you our special Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the role of the United States in the efforts to destabilize and overthrow the government uh, of Ethiopia. Also, uh, Sudan's uh, mass organizations have rejected the offer by the military junta to establish another administration after the coup on October the 25th. 
In the U.S. Uh, state of Louisiana, there are efforts underway to grant a posthumous pardon to Homer Plessy, uh, who was arrested for defying uh, segregation laws uh, during the early 1890s, which resulted uh, in a draconian Supreme Court decision upholding the system of Jim Crow. The 19 Project, which won a Pulitzer Prize, is now being published as a book. In the second hour, we listen uh, to two discussions exposing the aims of Western imperialism to remove uh, the current administration in Ethiopia uh, that is led by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. We also rebroadcast a speech delivered by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa analyzing the results uh, of the recently held local governmental elections. Finally, we examine issues impacting Africa and the world. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll take a musical interlude. Uh, we'll have music uh, from the Mongol Jazz Band from the United Republic of Tanzania. Uh, let's listen in.
Tanzania nzima Kapo kutika machozi wo 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 Onja kiana matamu watu wa kwanza
Thank you for joining us. You're watching Gobi and Horn of Africa. This is Future Africa Spotlight. Today, I joined by uh, former Speaker of Kenyan Parliament, Honorable uh, Farah Malim. Farah Malim, good to join me. Thank you. Pleasure always. All right. Okay, you're uh, keenly observing and uh, noting what's going on in Ethiopia. Very well, right? And you just uh, follow what's going on in Ethiopia through uh, the direction of Western media and the aid agencies by, I mean, co-popping with that of the TPLF. Uh, you have been heard so many times that TPL saying TPLF is a mercenary which executes the Westerners' interest in the Horn and in, in Ethiopia. Can you substantiate that and recite us about that again? Well, TPLF has been, I mean, for a very long time now, I think since they came to power, the, the darling of the West, and it's been used against uh, African interests or pan-African interests in the, in the, in the, in the region. And uh, basically, it, it was a fascist terrorist organization that brutalized the whole of Ethiopia and all the countries in the neighborhood, Eritrea, Somalia, um, South Sudan, Sudan, which is the, the Sudan Republic. It brutalized literally everybody and for a very long time. And was the blue-eyed uh, boys of the, of the West, uh, to be more specific, the Americans themselves. They were never held to any democratic uh, uh, freedom. Uh, they they rigged the elections. They killed what you call the, the the masses. They they terrorized Ethiopians and were able to rig themselves with 90 percent over 90 percent support in the elections. And not on human rights, not not on democratic ideals, not on good economic governance, not on anything. But they were still continuing to give them all the money they needed. They gave them the grants because they were doing the dirty job for them, in, in particularly in Somalia. They did all the dirty job for them in Somalia. Uh, Ken went into Somalia, occupied Somalia, and, and made sure that uh, uh, waged the war on, on, on Eritrea, and, 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 and basically, you know, behaved like they, they were not accountable to anybody or anything, or, or anything for that matter. They could do what they want. So, so the, and the moment they were taken off the scene, through a process which was very democratic through the APRDF, they wanted to reclaim their old glory so that they could con con continue brutalizing uh, uh, the Ethiopian people and the others in the neighborhood too. And all the West was able to do is to talk about human rights violations when they did not have any evidence or even the facts on the ground uh, uh, stated otherwise or the fact stated not the magnitude that the West tried to create. So uh, aid organizations were sent in there. Uh, information has it that American satellites are, are, are basically guiding the, the TPLF uh, fighters on where to go in, where there are gaps, so that they can keep on making forays into Amara region and into Afar region. And then that basically, and they, they, they used also the embedded, the media houses, and American Western media houses are known to, 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 to very quickly rally into the, their own government's uh, narratives of uh, any conflict that's there. And this time right now, they also became the uh, propaganda arm. I'm talking about CNN, I'm talking about BBC, I'm talking about all these other, France uh, 24, 
they all became and they got sucked into that. To the extent when the fighting is going on in a very peripheral manner, 300 kilometers, 330 kilometers away from Addis Ababa, they were saying that the, the city of Addis Ababa has been, has been, is under siege from CPLF forces, uh, which is an absolute lie. And, you know, they just wanted to create panic. And they even went ahead and tried to organize together what they're calling opposition forces outside to try and put together a transitional government. How do you put a transitional government in, in a country which has got authoritative and, and very firm government in place with all its instruments of power in place? Particularly the U.S. government is trying to immunize and uh, helping TPLF through its uh, agencies and uh, media houses. And what do you say about this? Well, I think the Ethiopians should have their own. Uh, they, you do have your 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 humanitarian arm, which is a government body, which was used when there was a conflict in the in the Somali state, and they are they were the ones who are making sure that uh, agent provocateurs or or elements from the military rebels do not find their way into that distribution of the food. And, 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 and uh, you know, many governments in the past practiced that. And aid agencies were never allowed into, into the Somali region when this fighting was going on, or left was waging a war of independence against the Ethiopian center. They were never allowed. I mean, they, 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 it's only the government that was, through its agencies, that was distributing food in there. Now they want to force the, 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 the Ethiopian center, the government of the, the Abiy, Prime Minister Abiy, to allow these UN, UN, UN guys and UN staff. For your information, majority of the UN, those UN staff are people who work for the CIA, people who work for their own intelligence, and people who also give this misinformation. And the information has it that they are also hiding weapons, hiding weapons and smuggling weapons into the into the into the into the TPLF forces there and TPLF fighting men and women. Uh, and, and and basically, when TPLF is on the offensive. They just play um, uh, lip service on, on ceasefire, lip service, and they don't talk about sanctions, they don't do anything. The moment the TPLF loses, after carrying out some serious human rights violations in Amara region or in Afa region, is when they talk about starvation in Tigray, uh, humanitarian, what they call uh, 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 intervention, uh, ceasefire, uh, human rights violations by the by the by the by the uh, uh, national defense forces, it's absolute nonsense. This is exactly their modus operandi. That is how they operate. They want a regime change, and they're doing everything to make a regime change. And then they want to bring back TPLF into the seat of government in Addis Ababa, and that should never be allowed. I mean, the Abiy has been too kind, too generous, I think, too uh, simplistic in the manner in which he has dealt with these aid agencies and these international organizations. The idea is that he should actually immediately, uh, some of them should be banned. I'm talking about some of the media houses. Should be stopped from covering uh, covering uh, Ethiopia. I'm talking about CNN. I'm talking about BBC. I'm talking about many others. I remember Meles Zarawi banned completely Voice of America from broadcasting into Ethiopia. And that was a government agency. The American government did not protest that vociferously, did not withdraw their embassies. They didn't do anything. They just accepted it. Uh, so, so to try and uh, 
uh, come up with a different set of rules now because they want to make a regime change is something that uh, Dr. Abiy and his government must be able to read through and never accept that. Never, ever accept that. The moment you allow these uh, spies who are coming in the form of humanitarian intervention stuff, UN stuff, you allow them into the country, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble, yes. Okay. Because they, they're going to give out fake news. They're going to do a lot of disinformation. They're going to smuggle weapons in there. They're going to smuggle... Some of the food that was taken in there was, 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 was basically uh, the, the standard military ration, and people saw them uh, in the hands of the TPLF. Uh, and some of it was even in the media houses. So some of the UN vehicles that were taken in there were being used by TPLF. So then where does the uh, nonpartisanship or impartiality come in now? Where does it come? They're not nonpartisan. They are okay. on the side of TPLF. Great. They want to keep the regime change, and that should never be allowed. Great. Okay. Uh, Westerners are insisting Ethiopian government to seat for negotiation with TPLF. Would that work out? What no, no. It was the same when RLF was fighting the center in, uh, in, 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 in Addis Ababa, when Meles was in power. Why didn't they do that when the Oromo Liberation Front was fighting the center in Addis Ababa? Or the Amara, what they call a region, a regional, what they call a liberation movement was fighting. Every other region in there had a liberation movement that was fighting a genuine battle because of the excesses of TPLF when they were in power and the Meles around. The international community did not listen to any. So why is this different now? I, I think that what needs to be done is TPLF to immediately, you know, down their weapons or go back and, 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 and allow the progressive moderates in Tigray who care about the Ethiopian nation, who care about the development of their own people to be the ones to be engaged with the center in, in stabilizing and maintaining law and order in Tigray. On your various articles and uh, interviews, you've been heard saying TPLF is uh, Westerners mercenary. And what do you mean Absolutely. that? Well, basically, they have been doing everything that the Americans and the West wanted. They, they went into Somalia unilaterally, invaded and occupied a country, killed more than 40,000 Somalis. Before that, they killed more than 60,000 ethnic Somalis in the Somali state. They did a similar thing in Amara region. They did a similar thing in Oromo region. I mean, there's hardly any region in Ethiopia, of all the regions that are there, that did, was not brutalized by TPLF. But the West was keen, and basically they could do what they want and get away with it, the same way Israel does what it wants in the Middle East and gets away with it. So this was the the, 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 the Israeli, the Israeli what they call counterpart in Horn of Africa for, for the Western countries. You will always ask yourself the question, why does America allow Israel to do the kind of things it does to Palestinians and the Arabs in the region? But basically, it's, they are there. They are, they are, they are their blue-eyed boys, and they do what they want. And the West is there, uh, basically, to maintain that stranglehold so that the energy of the Middle East and the oil and petrol and everything uh, is, is, is secure in their hands because they need that energy and they have to have a police state in there. So Israel is a police state to police the whole region. And, 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 and TPLF was basically the equivalent of that in the whole of Africa. Because the West, the West wants to lay its hands on the resources that are in Ethiopia, the resources that are in Somalia, the resources that are in Eritrea, the resources that are there in, in Sudan and South Sudan, the Republic of South Sudan, 
they have their own their own what do you call uh, leash dogs, what you would call the the people who they, they will they will they will send after those people. And and TPLF played that role very well, very very well for for the Western interest in 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 the Horn of Africa, in the Greater Horn of Africa, and could get away could get away with any crime, you know, lack of democracy, um, rigged elections. Uh, brutalizing the people, genocide, what amounts to more or less like a genocide. And then basically, they will never ask the question. They were there to defend them and to give them unconditional grants. Ethiopia under Meles Zarawi was the biggest recipient of external aid from the Western countries in Africa, even superseding Egypt without any accountability. They were never meant to account for it. Is there anything that is planned by U.S.? This is a creation of theirs, exactly the way they are messing Haiti now. Haiti has gone to hell, and there's always been like that. And they want to do exactly the same in, 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 uh, in Ethiopia and in Addis. Look, I have my immediate relatives who traveled through Addis in the last couple of days and stayed there for a day. I have friends who live in Addis. It's more peaceful today. Addis is more peaceful than Nairobi. I worry about when I go out here with my car, whether I'm going to be carjacked or whether I'm going to be... And a lot of things happen, and I have to have always a consciousness of the security in there. There's more insecurity in Kampala, in Johannesburg, in Pretoria, in, uh, in, 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 in Cape Town, than you have in Addis, in Addis Ababa, my friend. And uh, nobody talks about that. In, in, in Lagos, there's more insecurity in Lagos, and, and more to worry about in terms of the personal security in Lagos and in Nairobi than in Addis Ababa. And, uh, but but they they don't talk about that because then they, this is this is something that has nothing to do with the security of the people there. This is something to do with their own conspiracies and their own you know original what they call uh, designs and desires they have on that. So they create it. They create these things. I mean they they created Bin Laden in uh, Iraq when he, uh, Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with Bin Laden or Al Qaeda and say there's Al Qaeda there. They created weapons of mass destruction because they wanted to invade Iraq and lay their hands on the oil of Iraq. And then they killed Saddam Hussein. They did what they did. And they had now Iraq, Iraq in the state it is for all these years. They did the same also in Libya. They talked about Gaddafi and created no-fly zones and finally killed him. And now that he's gone, there's more terrorists and more, uh, you know, other... Uh, non-governmental or non-state actors in that place right now than when 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 Gaddafi was there. Uh, they, they do all these things. They created the mess in 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 Egypt and allowed the military to take over. Uh, they will do the same also in uh, they did the, they tried to do that in Syria except that Bashar Assad has hung on to and basically called in the Russians and the Russians have called the bluff. So they do not have the power to change him, but they wanted to change him. And they will not talk about lack of democracy in Saudi Arabia or lack of democracy in United Arab, Arab Emirates, UAE. And they don't talk about the, the human rights violations there. But here they are basically trying to uh, uh, stick a reason for intervention, for intervention. But what they don't understand is that, look, they tried to intervene in Somalia and barefoot Somalis chased the Americans out of that country. And you remember Black Hawk Down and... And, and what was called uh, that, that dark day for the American Rangers, the best of the best. I mean, literally giving the impression that they are from outside this world and they're going to come and civilize uh, some, some native Africans who are primitive. And that's what they say the Somalis were. Okay. But the Somalis fought back and chased them out. 
and you think they can get there what they, they, they want in Ethiopia? No. Ethiopia has a history of standing up to this kind of uh, 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 crazy, what do you call, uh, uh, intervention. I mean, they tried it. The Italians did try, and everybody tried. And they never went far with it. Today, there is a bigger resolution, a more focused, united, integrated resolution in the whole of Africa. Every Somali, every Eritrean, every Djiboutian, free-thinking African in the region, in Kenya, in all these countries, is supporting the Taibis government and wants to have a genuine African solution to African problems. Not okay. the kind of stuff that people are trying to promote okay. in all our continents. They can make the failed state and then come and collect. You can okay. take away, look at Congo, DRC. DRC is a failed state. And, and now is when they are able to take all those resources. They are moving the coltan, the diamond, the gold, and name it, the, the, the timber out of the out of DRC. And, and, and it's hundreds of billions of dollars. And, and, and the poor, poor what do you call, uh, citizens of DRC and children in DRC do not go to school and they are suffering there in a stony age situation. Some countries are insisting their uh, diplomats to leave uh, well, I know very Zambia quickly. Among us, uh, others, Zambia and Sudan did the same thing. Is that expected from uh, African nation to uh, accept such order from the U.S. and other European Union, or it's uh, better to help uh, 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 Ethiopia in resisting the imperialist neo-colonialism attempt, which is aimed at destabilizing Ethiopia? Look, we, 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 we still have the slavery syndrome in us, the colonial, the, colonial, the colonial syndrome in the black people. We still have the field slaves and what you call the, the house slaves. The house slaves who used to serve the masters and eat the crumbs from the, from the, from the masters, what they call table, and be there in the kitchen. And the field slave was out there uh, fighting, uh, basically, and, and, and opposed to all that he was going through and suffering and being brutalized. Okay. So they're all those, what you call African countries and the leadership of African countries who are apologists for the West and who think they can get a bit of crumb from them here and there. What is Zambia? I mean, Zambia is already going to hell. They're so broke. Uh, their own resources are, is, are being cut out of the country by all sorts of people. They have been, they, they never took care of their people. Corruption was rampant. And, 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 and what is the president doing right now? I think he's trying, he's hoping that he will be on the good books of the British and the Americans and get a little bit of camp here and there. We okay. cannot, we cannot, when they call, uh, 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 fail to, to say what the truth is. But of course, there are those countries, there is South Africa, which is basically the Mandela spirit. There is Tanzania, where the Nyerere spirit and the Magikuri spirit is there. There is what they call uh, 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 Nigeria which will also, in my opinion, be stand up to the pride of the black men. And, and, but of course, then the others, they can do what they want. We will have a different dispensation in all of Africa. Okay. And I hope my country also question. comes on board with this. Uh, in, in pride. I mean, when, when my own head of state was taken to the Hague, and, and it, we, we mobilized the continent and said that, look, this is a court that is only meant for Africans. It's not a universal court. Otherwise, American soldiers who did excesses in, in Afghanistan, who did excesses in, uh, in, uh, in, in Iraq, and somebody like Bush who waged a, 
an, an illegal and illegitimate war in those countries should be there at the Hague. And, and, and Africa came together. I, I don't understand why we are, we are now basically becoming again apologists for, for the Western, Western countries. But it's time the continent came together and created a serious independence. We have never been independent for all these years. And I think okay. uh, yeah. Eritrea is there. Eritrea, 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 number one, two, three. That is the country, small as it is, that has demonstrated and exemplified the pride of the black man in the, okay. in the, and in our place in the international or the global medical standing. But now that Eritrea, Somalia, Ethiopia, and the Dr. Abi are together, we, we, will, we will see we have a lot of hope for the future of the continent of the Horn of Africa. As for the military rulers in, in Sudan, it's unfortunate. I was hoping that they would be different, but now I can see that they are just, you know, another another sisi of, um, of of Egypt. It's another okay. another yeah. person who is planted there by the West, and I think this coup has their blessings. I was under the impression before that he has come in to protect Thank the sovereignty you. of the state. Burhan, unfortunately, is another another lucky or another what do you call agent for them and. It's too bad, but I'm sure the Sudanese people will rise up against him, and they will they will reclaim their independence. That's one thing okay. Sudanese have always uh, uh, fought for. So you don't don't feel Dr. Abi should not feel Ethiopia should not feel that they are lonely. We are with you. The masters in the continent are with you. Okay. One last question: What ought the Ethiopian community and the Ethiopian government should learn from Iran? Well. Independence has no cost. You pay for your life. Sanctions, they, right now, I understand there are going to be sanctions against Eritrea. Eritrea has lived under sanctions for over 20 years. The international court, they went to the international court. They got the, the judgment against Meles Zanawi and against what they call the TPLF those days. The international community could not even, you know, support them. They were there on the other side and the wrong side. Uh, because they were on the right side from the beginning. And, and Eritrea is still a good country. I mean, it's got, they're living well. They're living well, undoubtedly. So even if you go under sanctions, you will develop your own industries. You will develop your own agriculture. You will become independent and self-sufficient. And as long as the continent itself can come together, you trade with the continent. You don't have to trade with America. You don't have to use the dollar as basically the, 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 the convertible currency for for all of Africa, we have to we have to redo these things. I mean, a lot has to change, and you you can even go for the Chinese uh, uh, yuan as 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 a convertible currency until Africa is able to create its own its own as as Gaddafi one time had intimated. But the point I'm trying to tell you is that let Ethiopia stand firm, let the countries in the region of Somalia stand firm. My own Kenya will certainly certainly follow suit and come in also into the fold. Uh, I know the pressures are very big from the Western capitals on us too, uh, but but you see, you can't, you cannot dismiss the aspirations of 120 million people because of a clique of fascist terrorists called TPLF. Thank you. Okay, former Speaker of Kenyan Parliament, Honorable Farah Malin, thank you for your insights. Uh, have a good one. You're welcome. Thank you. Dear viewers, this brings you the end of our edition for today. See you next time. Fileni Seum joining us now live from Addis Ababa. It has been a year, and thank you for joining us, a year 
since the start of Ethiopia's conflict, yet we are seeing armed groups fighting your government increasing its numbers as they advance towards the capital. What's happening on the ground and how far are the TPLF and other allies from Addis Ababa? Becky, thank you so much for having me. Um, before I answer your question, it would be quite disingenuous of me to respond to, to your question without first addressing the big elephant in the room. And it's important for me to share with you as well as your global audience that um, Ethiopians, a majority of Ethiopians um, in Ethiopia as well as abroad, strongly feel that CNN has covered the conflict over the past year in a manner that is highly biased and detached from context. And a recent example is the hysteria that CNN had caused last week as if Addis Ababa was under siege, sending a global message that the city is about to go down. And we have often shared that it seems Ethiopia is undergoing what seems like a coordinated media campaign to tarnish the image of the country, to tarnish the image of the prime minister and his administration, and media outlets like CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, and Reuters in particular, as well as others, have often chosen to carry an overly negative and skewed narrative missing important nuances. And I reiterate this to you because I also heard the opening right. lines, which takes away or is devoid of um, assigning uh, the actual blame where it is, um, assigning the blame to the TTLF that initiated this conflict. And they have also given testimony and uh, confessed that they're the ones that attacked the Northern Command of the National Defense Forces. Right. So I think let, it's important let, let me just, that... Let me respond to your, to your words, because I've given you a chance um, to say your bit. Um, our work, um, our reporting, was conducted carefully and methodically by CNN's highly experienced team in the region and elsewhere. We stand by its findings as well as the language used in our reporting, which we believe is fully justified. Here's a question to you. There are a number of media organizations, including CNN, currently in Ethiopia, who are not being allowed to report, not being granted accreditation from the government. What is the reason for that and why? Why, if you want the story told, are you not allowing those organizations, including CNN, to try to do their work? That is the disinformation that is being perpetrated, Becky, and I dare say this because I also deal directly with some of the oh, media. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. You wanted to have a... You, 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 what is this information? We have a, we have a team trying to get to work on the ground. Hang on. But don't accuse us of, of, of disinformation. Are you, are you suggesting that we don't have a team that's trying to report on the ground with respect? Your team is on the ground, but your team did not come into the country or some members of your team did not come into the country by following the due process. I was informed or some members of the government were informed of CNN being on the ground and asking for accreditation. The accreditation process Are you prepared to have to them work on the ground and get accredited so that they can tell the story? You would have to allow me to finish. This is not a hostile environment okay. to the media at all. There are so many other media entities that have entered the country. There are other media entities that have requested and been facilitated entry into the country, into the region that they wanted to cover these stories at. However, for the amount of blame that the Ethiopian government is um, you know, admonished for not allowing media, you never hear about the media that actually do enter a report, and you don't hear about the media entities that have been granted accreditation, but their own uh, headquarters tell them not to actually enter to the country. So these are also, you know, stories that need to be at the forefront. Okay. 
let's 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 try and get to the bottom of what is going on here because everybody wants the best for Ethiopia. I know you will agree with that. Certainly, we are just trying to get our work done and get to the bottom of what's going on. So let's do this. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for unrestricted access to Degre, to Amhara and Afar, saying that no convoys with supplies had entered Tigray since October the 18th. I have heard this from numerous agency sources. What will it take for the Ethiopian government to facilitate access and end, end what the UN has called a man-made crisis? Let's start with that and then we'll get into the politics. Sure, um, Becky. You know, humanitarian concerns are equally as important for the Ethiopian government. So the portrayal of the government as a demagogue with no interest in the well-being of its own people throughout the country is erroneous, and it's not right. That is why it invested up to 100 billion bur in humanitarian assistance and infrastructure repair works in the Tigray region. Until the National Defense Forces had withdrawn out of the Tigray region, which is the end of June 2021, the Ethiopian government um, had allocated or was covering up to 70% of humanitarian assistance. After the exit of the National Defense Forces, the onus of responsibility on humanitarian access reaching the intended beneficiaries within the Tigray region is on the TPLF. There has been what we have witnessed after the humanitarian ceasefire that was enacted by the government is encroachment by the TPLF into the Tigray and Amhara. Uh, with, and, with, uh, respe with respect, that is, not, that, is not, that is not the evidence of what our teams have seen on the ground, nor the evidence that I am being given by agencies who are still on the ground. They are... The access isn't available, and that access isn't It may be from, 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 from the TPF side as well, but the Ethiopian government is not, is not helping. Why? Why? The access has been there. There may have been bureaucratic, cumbersome processes. And in fact, at the beginning, the complaint from, the, from international humanitarian assistance partners was that there were so many checkpoints. So the checkpoints, in my understanding, at the beginning, which were seven, have been decreased heeding to the complaints that were being lodged by humanitarian actors. And the reason for the Ethiopian government putting these humanitarian checkpoints in place is also for the safety of its people within the Afar and Hamara region that are on the borders of where TPLF had been, been active and also is trying to encroach upon, which they eventually did. Now, I think it's also important that for many months now, we have been facilitating every effort, including those by the UN, to get the food and aid to those in need. However, the TPLF has also been lying about this and politicizing and weaponizing humanitarian assistance. We've seen reports as well from the USAID saying that some of their humanitarian assistance was being diverted to fighters instead of those beneficiaries. We have over 800 right. okay. trucks that accounted for that have entered the region. Why are we uh, not asking those questions as well? We have seen these well, trucks I, carry... I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity... Hang on. Hang on. I'm giving you the opportunity to put your side here. I'm also just making the point that I'm not, this isn't coming from the TPLF. I'm, I'm talking about the fact that humanitarian aid is being prevented from getting in. I'm being told this by humanitarian agencies. The WFP has had tanker after tanker after tanker held up, which has got fuel, essential fuel to get to the people in need. Look, let's do the politics here because the politics lie behind what is going on here. Prime Minister Abiy has called on Ethiopians to be... Hold on, please. Prime Minister Abiy has called on Ethiopians to be ready to defend the capital. You know that to be true. What does this mean? 
And is an armed solution the right solution at this point? Okay, so the Prime Minister calling upon the Ethiopian people to defend their city, to defend their communities, to defend their country, is supplanting or supporting the government's responsibility and constitutionally mandated responsibility to thwart off any attacks, any terrorist attacks. As you know, the TPLF and their, their partners have been deemed or designated by the House of People's Representatives in a constitutionally, in an Ethiopian constitutionally clear process, designated as terrorist organizations. So you are seeing the rhetoric coming from the other side saying we are going to take over Addis Ababa, there's going to be a siege under uh, of, uh, the, the capital. With all this narrative building up, it's important for everybody to be aware and to be alert. So this is not okay. necessarily a from the Prime Minister to arm everybody and, um, uh, you know, descend into civil chaos, but this is about being vigilant in their communities that this kind of threat, which is being okay. overtly shared by the TPLF, is upon us. The Prime... The the Prime Minister also said, and I quote him here, we will bury this enemy with our blood and bones and make the glory of Ethiopia high again, calling on citizens to take up arms and, quote, bury the terrorist TPLF. This is very heavy rhetoric from a leader. And it doesn't sound from that as if there is any room for the Ethiopian government to talk to the TPLF. Look, Facebook removed the Prime Minister's post. How can Ethiopia unite under this current Prime Minister when he continues to use language inciting violence against particular okay, ethnic groups? That is in the perspective of CNN. Um, the Ethiopian government ran the first I've democratic... I've just quoted what the Prime Minister said in a Facebook post that was then removed by Facebook for inciting violence. You need to let me explain. You need to, ex uh, you need to let me explain. Okay. We are testing the removal of this post by Facebook because we do not feel that it is as alarmist as Facebook has. Um, now, there's other context for these global corporations and global entities. What part, of this, what part of that post do you not see as alarmist? Do you not see as Can I finish? I'm asking you, I, I'm, I'm, I am literally asking you a very simple question there. The nuances of the Amharic language. The Prime Minister is not asking people to go and attack their counterparts and their brothers and sisters. There has been a clear pathway from the Prime Minister from the beginning that he came to the administration, asking for peace, asking for unity throughout the country. There have been several, several attempts by the TPLF and the war drums that have been beating up before the November 2020 altercation. To all of that, the federal government, championed and spearheaded by the prime minister, has been very clear that we did not want this to descend into where it is right now. So calling upon the Ethiopian people to defend themselves, calling upon the Ethiopian people to protect themselves should not be seen in that negative light. Some nuances within the Amharic language maybe or easily, if you're splitting hair, can be taken to mean other things. But there is no clear call for violence on each other. But what the Prime Minister and the government, the federal government of Ethiopia are asking is for all to be vigilant that the threat of TPLF is there because they are saying they want to take over, they want to attempt a coup, and they want to topple a government. A legitimately elected government, Bil if I may Right. Bellini, I think, I, th I think, you know, what was written in that post was unequivocal. Look, he, he, Prime Minister Abiy described war, and I quote him here, as the epitome of hell during his acceptance speech for the Nobel Peace Prize. Now he is presiding over a protracted civil war, effectively. 
And, and by the way, how concerned are you that this is going to get worse and this will ultimately become a civil war? Perhaps that, perhaps we're not there yet, but it looks no, as if we could be. What will it take to stop this? That is not true. So again, facts and the way that the narrative is being shaped by your media as well is important because that's not the case. The Prime Minister. So, so how would you describe it? Constitution to thwart of any attacks on the state, on the integrity of the state as well. The Constitution, if you're willing to go through it, declares that and puts that mm -hmm. as a responsibility mandated on the Prime Minister. The TPLF is an organ that has been designated by our House of People's Representatives as a terrorist organization. If the mm -hmm. TPLF, if you remember in end of June 2020, 2021, when there was a unilateral humanitarian ceasefire that was enacted, the opportunity for peace was there. The opportunity, this unilateral ceasefire that was taken by the government was paying heed to the suffering of our own people. And we, we need to also acknowledge that the people of Tigray are our own people as well. So heeding to the pains mm -hmm. that they are undergoing because of the criminal tendencies and the power grab that is uh, being pushed by a small criminal enterprise and a small clique, acknowledging that the unilateral right. humanitarian ceasefire was considered a joke by the PLF and what you saw them is encroaching into two other regions, looting properties, destructing properties, killing civilians, you know, raping women and children as well. So this needs well, to be thwarted. He has a responsibility I, I, to... And I'm giving you the, I'm, I, I am giving you the opportunity to, to put your side uh, to us uh, today and, and, and to our viewers, of course. Um, and it's been a long time that we've been hoping to have this conversation and so I, I, I'm glad that, that, that you are, that you've been prepared to, to, to come on the show today and, and have this discussion as you rightly point out, Tigrayans are Ethiopians. So since the state of emergency has been imposed, witnesses tell CNN that Tigrayans are being ethnically targeted and arrested by authorities. Ethiopia's state-appointed Human Rights Commission says the arrests are happening on reasonable grounds as the detainees are suspected of collaborating with terrorist groups. Is there any proof of that? I mean, we have, this is a state of emergency was something that was enacted last week. So I would need to get further details in terms of the way that it's being implemented. But the enactment of the state of emergency is not to target any particular person based on the identity that they're aligned to. The state of emergency is put in place to protect the Ethiopian people, to protect the residents of Addis Ababa, who have been told with very, very fierce rhetoric coming from the TPLF that we are going to siege or we're going to come into Addis Ababa. So it's important for the state of emergency to put in place a mechanism uh, that anybody that is trying to threaten the stability or the peace that is within the capital city is, um, is thoroughly addressed as well. So the details that you're asking for, right. this is something that's still in the pipeline. I may come back to you at okay. another point. Well, the government has declared a state of emergency, uh, reflecting the rapid escalation uh, of this conflict that ultimately it threatens to tear apart Ethiopia and further destabilize the Horn of Africa. Your government has urged foreign powers to stand with Ethiopia's democracy. You do not have the support of Washington, for example, which just this week accused Ethiopia of gross human rights breaches and said that it planned to remove the country from an important trade pact. What's the government's message to Washington? Who are you speaking to here? And just just describe how you feel about the response from the international community at this point. 
I mean, Becky, let me just backtrack a little bit and address something that you had said. This is not the first time that a state of emergency has been enacted within the country, so we shouldn't use this particular point to um, exaggerate things more than that they are and to create an alarmist environment, because that's what a lot of international media have created. Going to your second question, the engagement with the U.S. is uh, still constructive. We, we look for a very constructive engagement. Uh, the U.S., the United States, has been a strong ally of Ethiopia for a very long time, and Ethiopia has also been a bastion of stability within and, and, the region. And they have described Ethiopia as an important partner, but that partner is not a constructive partner anymore. I spoke to Samantha Power about this just yesterday. Just yesterday. You lose the support um, of Washington. You lose the incredibly important trade pact that's there. Officials are sanctioned. What sort of impact will that have on Ethiopia's economy with respect and the people of Ethiopia? And isn't it time to push for a ceasefire and to sort this thing out? Your response? Thank you. The humanitarian ceasefire was already in place. Remember, the TPLF brandished it as a joke. So I'm not entirely sure what you're talking about further other than that. With regards to the U.S., there is constructive engagement that we're looking for. And if this constructive engagement needs to be rooted in the context and understanding of the complexity of what's unfolding, the same with the international community. Um, we need the U.S. and the international um, community support to defend democracy, justice, and the people of Ethiopia. And I say to defend democracy because for the first time in Ethiopia's modern history, we underwent the first democratic election. It might not be perfect in the eyes of the U.S. It might not be perfect in the eyes of the international community. Mm but it's the best mm. that Ethiopia has come across. And these are building blocks for the democratization process that we have embarked upon in 2018. Are they painful? They're right. painful. Are, um, you know, is it, is it facilitating a segue for something uh, more solid and foundational to come? Yes, but we still need that because this is a democratically and legitimately elected government. And the, the, Prime Minister the Ethiopian government faces huge criticism at present. And, and, and there are there are calls from pretty much everywhere at this point for a ceasefire. So you're right to point out that there was the bones of a humanitarian ceasefire at one point. But there are calls now for a full ceasefire. Briefly, tell me, what do you expect will happen next at this point? You know, this is something that Ethiopia has been preparing for in terms of uh, facilitating a peaceful conclusion to this, uh, you know, uh, really uh, troublesome chapter. Ethiopia remains committed to enabling an all-inclusive national dialogue that is aimed at addressing all political contestations. And the institutions and processes that are being laid out for that national dialogue to take place, and such details will um, emerge accordingly. But we believe that this process needs to be Ethiopian in form and then nature. Uh, in this nature, we produce mm -hmm. positive results gaining uh, uh, stability mm -hmm. and peace. This inclusive uh, uh, national dialogue is something with, in the pipeline. With that, we will leave it there. Um, we have been pushing to speak to the Prime Minister. I've wanted to get the Ethiopian government's perspective now for some time. I do appreciate your time uh, today. Um, it's important that we have this discussion. I would like to speak to the Prime Minister. So that invitation uh, is there. If you would like to, please uh, take that to him. Um, I think it would be important for the international community, the rest of the world, the viewers uh, who will be watching this show uh, today and at this time every day, uh, they would like to hear from Prime Minister um, Abiy Ahmed as well. So we thank you very much indeed.
for joining us.
something that we must be proud of as South Africans and continue to applaud this freedom that we have attained. This process of elections gives meaning, comrades, to the declaration in the Freedom Charter that no government can justly claim authority unless it is based on the will of the people. And that's exactly what happened during the local government elections. The will of the people was expressed. As the African National Congress, we wish to congratulate and to thank all South Africans, underline all South Africans, who voted on Monday and also those who voted on the special voting day. We congratulate them for exercising their democratic right to vote for whomsoever they wish. Every single vote counts, and every single vote contributes to determining the path of our country, the path that we will follow as a people. We wish, comrades, to commend the Independent Electoral Commission for mounting a massive logistical operation and ensuring a successful election. Let's give them a round of applause. The IEC did this mammoth task and achievement under difficult conditions that were created by COVID-19. The pandemic cast doubt on the viability of the elections and severely affected the election timetable as well as the planning thereof. It is a credit to the IEC, but it is also a credit to state institutions such as the South African Police Service, as well as the SANDF, and indeed all political parties that the election went ahead and that it was so successful. Let's applaud our institutions. On behalf of the leadership of the African National Congress, comrades, we wish to thank all ANC candidates, ANC staff, ANC campaign workers and volunteers for the extraordinary efforts that they put into this hard-fought election. And I'd like us to give them a standing ovation. Let's applaud them because they learned a fantastic election. Thank you, comrades. Comrades, it was most pleasing to go around the country, all of us, as we were campaigning, for all of us to go around the country to meet our candidates, but also to meet our volunteers who were working 
day and night making sure that we get this election outcome. Thank you very much. With limited resources and with preparations hampered by COVID-19 restrictions, ANC volunteers carried out an intensive campaign across the length and the breadth of our country. As the ANC, this was probably the most difficult election campaign that we have ever undertaken. And it is, yes, in the end, the worst electoral outcome for the ANC in 27 years of democracy. But it was a difficult campaign. That we must admit. This is the first time, comrades, that the ANC share of the national vote has fallen below 50%. The ANC's support declined in all provinces and we only achieved an outright majority in two of the eight metropolitan municipalities in the country. The low voter turnout is of great concern to us. Only 46% of the registered voters cast a ballot in this election compared to 56% of registered voters in the last two local elections. Beyond the impact that such a low voter turnout had on the ANC's performance, such a low turnout has grave implications for our democracy, for building an active citizenry, and for the standing of local government institutions. It's not just bad for us as the African National Congress, but it is bad for our democracy. It is something that we, as the African National Congress, must do something about that we must be able to get the majority of our people out to go and vote because it is important that every one of us participate in the democratic architecture of our country. Now, the NEC, in its preliminary assessment, felt that it is important that the ANC as a whole should undertake an extensive and detailed assessment of these election results and the factors that were critical in determining the outcome that we had. Comrades, while there are many issues that would have contributed, many factors that would have led to this outcome, we are the first to acknowledge that the most critical factor are those that have to do with the state of our organization, our glorious African National Congress, as well as our performance in government. The poor state of many municipalities was a key factor to the decline in support for the ANC, which was obviously exacerbated by high levels of 
unemployment and poverty and serious concerns about crime and safety. We acknowledge, if we recall, comrades, many of the problems in municipalities in our own manifesto, but we also acknowledge it as we interface with our people during the election campaign. We said that many municipalities have not delivered as they should have. We said that, yes, what our people have been complaining about, the corruption that they could see, feel, and touch was happening and was a reality. We also admitted that there has been wastage as well as understanding in many councils and that in several communities service delivery is a major problem. We ourselves said this and as we went around the country our people told us all this. I must say that in nearly every meeting that I had to attend and address and interact and interface with our people, these are sentiments that they express. And this was also expressed by those who are hardened ANC loyalists and supporters, including our own members. This is the reality Congress that we must face up to. This is the truth that our people told us on the campaign trail. And this is what we should not just admit on paper, this is the reality that we must internalize and yet admit that this is what has made our people not come out in the large number that we expect. It is important in our cultures that yet we must be able to admit that this is what we need, this is what has happened, and in doing so, the process of redemption, the process of correction, the process of putting things right then begins. Basic services coverage such as water was raised numerous times by our people and they said to all of us as leaders as we went around that this is a major problem that affects us and that afflicts our people. They also said electricity is a major, major problem. And yet, and we saw it, we felt it, and we experienced it ourselves. And they also spoke about the debt and the filth in their town. Wherever one went, there was rubbish all over the show, papers, plastic all over the show. And these are the issues that our people raise. Our task is to internalize them. But they also raise another issue. They also raise the issue of disunity and factionalism within our own ranks. 
And they said in many ways that this is what is eating the ALC away. This is what afflicts us. We fight continuously as though there is no tomorrow. We are not united at leadership level especially. That's where we fight to the death. And sometimes, and sometimes this leads to people dying. Dying in our branch meetings. Dying in our conferences. And this is what our people see. They look at the television screen, they read social media, and they hear about this. And then they say, this is a disunited organization. Why should I support it? This is the reality, comrades, that we need to live up to. Yes, comrades, they also raise the issue of corruption. They raise it sharply, and each time any one of us omitted to mention it, they would raise it. A voice would come from the crowd there and say, corruption as well. They also raise the issue of patronage within the African National Congress itself. And these are issues, comrades, that have had a significant impact on voters' attitudes towards the organization. You must remember that the African National Congress is a big brand. It's a brand that spans across the whole country, from north to south, east to west. There is not a single place, town, township, village, city, or metro, where the ANC does not exist. These others, they are just patches. They are not where we are because we are everywhere. And that is the African National Congress. And it is this, comrades, that only thing that damages this brand. As we fight, as we engage in corrupt acts, as we display disunity, this is what damages our brand. And we must face up to it. And as they say, the first task of correcting yourself is to admit your status where you are. Now what is most crucial is the link that our people form between the state of the ANC and our performance in government at all levels. When they look at us and say, this is what is happening in their organization, it's so factor speaks for itself that even in government, they will not perform well. And in many cases, yes, our factionalism, our internal fight, has an impact on our governance capability. Because we fight like there is no tomorrow, as I said, and we forget that what we are there to do is to serve the people of South Africa as a whole. That is what the ANC was for. Now, in the end, our people make their own analysis, comrades. And the analysis that is made is that 
a weak and divided ANC will forever be incapable of addressing their needs and their concerns. That is the conclusion that they come to. Now, this election committee has sent a very clear and strong message to the African National Congress. Clearer than we have possibly ever had before. Five and a half million South Africans voted for the ANC in these elections. Those five and a half million South Africans, give or take a few hundred thousand, reaffirmed their confidence in the ANC to lead their municipalities and to provide the services that they need. So out there amongst our people, there are people who still have confidence in the African National Congress. There are people who are still willing to bet on the ANC, willing to give the African National Congress a chance. Through their voice, their vote, they said that they continue to support our movement, but that they expect us to correct our mistakes, to restore our values, to serve the people of South Africa more effectively. That is what they say. At the same time, millions of people who voted for the ANC in the past chose to stay away from the coast. And there are millions of them. Comrades, they chose to stay away rather than cast their vote for any other party. Now those other parties who are raising their little ponytails, <laughs> thinking that it's over and done with the ANC, just remember that many of the people who stayed away felt that they would rather not vote for them, they would rather stay away and show their support to them. And in so doing, Congress, they made a powerful statement about their disappointment in us, their discontent, and their frustration with us. But they felt that rather than give their vote to others, they would rather keep their vote. And those are the people that we must go back to because they are our supporters and we must go and work for them. By not voting, they sent a clear message coming that the ANC is not living up to their expectations. Most importantly, they have said that the ANC must fix itself. It must fix its problem. If it is to be trusted, to effectively serve the needs and the interests of the people of South Africa. Comrades, there will be various analyses, but the people of South Africa have spoken, and they have spoken more directly to us. And it is us, the African National Congress, in whom they have always sold their confidence their aspirations, their home hopes that they have spoken.
They know what we are capable of. They have seen us working for them. They have seen our leaders dedicated to working for them day and night. But now they say, we want you to correct yourself. What they have effectively done, comrades, is to put a comma in the sentence, not a full stop. That's what they have done. And we must therefore say, we must therefore say, we have heard them because they have spoken very loud. Comrades, we do not celebrate our losses. We respect the message we have received from the voters of our country and will act with urgency and tempo to correct our mistakes and significantly improve our performance. Repeat, significantly improve our performance. That is what we are going to do. Those South African comrades who voted for us and those that stayed away have in different ways both given us a very firm instruction to undertake without any further delay the fundamental changes and the fundamental renewal of our movement. That is the instruction they have given us. The renewal and rebuilding of our movement will be our overriding organizational priority as we emerge from this election. We recognize that if we are to regain the confidence of the people, we need to change in far-reaching and fundamental ways. Voters have sent a clear message that we need to focus on governance, on ridding countries of corruption and maladministration, and on making sure that services are provided to our people reliably as well as affordable, without any form of corruption. That is our immediate task. Now that the election results have been declared, we are focusing our efforts on establishing progressive and developmental local governments in as many parts of the country as possible. While we have seen a decline in our support, the reality is that the ANC is still, by a significant margin, the most popular political organization in the country nationwide, whether they like it or not. That is the reality. We have received more than 10.6 million votes. We have more than 4,500 local government seats. There's not any other party that has as many seats as we have. And we have an outright majority in 167 councils, comrades. That is not taking That is true. 
We are the largest party in every metro except Cape Town and Nelson Mandela Bay. The results of this election provide us with a firm mandate to implement the commitments we made in our election manifesto in municipalities across the country. It also gives us a solid foundation to enter into coalition agreements in those municipalities where we did not win and where we do not have an outright majority, but where we nevertheless have substantial support. The fundamental consideration, comrades, that informs any agreement we enter into with any party is whether it will enable us to implement our electoral mandate and contribute to the improvement of the lives of the residents in that municipality. So, comrades, let us be clear. We are not going to enter into coalitions at all costs. We are not. Now, a, a, number, a number of parties are going around boastfully, boastfully saying, yeah, we will not work with the ANC. But who says we want to work with them?
as we enter into any coalition agreement will be principled, it will be political, and it will be strategic. We will not go cap in hand to anybody. But at the same time, comrades, we will have an open mind. We will have an open mind where we will be able to have discussions on a very respectful basis where we will see that the extent to which we will be able to structure coalition agreement properly. We don't want casual arrangements. Thank you. 
those negotiations with a form of seriousness, honesty, and with a clear intention of implementing the will of the people. We will not turn away from that. Our people have spoken and we are going to do everything we can to give effect to the will of our people. And in doing so, we will try as much as we possibly can. Now, those who say they don't want to talk to us, I'm going to kill you. We're not going to run after them. <laughs> but we are. We are going to sit down, whether they are like-minded parties or not, we will try and find a way in which we can have a consensus and form government. Because we need, we are a leader of society, our objective is therefore to form local government elections and not to play games. And that is the task that we are going to execute with the intention to implement the will of our people. So comrades, on coalitions, we are going into them, the acting Secretary General and various other comrades who are seated here are at work talking to various political formations to see how best we can give effect to the will of our people. When the work has been concluded, obviously announcements will be made and the National Executive Committee is going to be meeting again in a matter of 10 days or two weeks or so to do a deep dive into a proper assessment. And I would say our provinces should do the same, our regions should do the same, so as to inform the discussions that should take place at the NEC level. And once all that has been done, together with the reports that we will be getting from the coalition discussions, we will be able to go out once again to our membership, to our supporters, and to South Africans and tell them where the African National Congress stands. Believe you me, the ANC will stay where it stands. It will stay so. Now, probably another immediate task is to elect mayors and other senior office bearers who are capable, experienced, and committed. Those are the types of people that we want. We have adopted a comprehensive set of criteria for mayors, for speakers, and other political office bearers, including chief whips. Later this week, we will be undertaking a series of rigorous interviews of prospective candidates conducted by members of the National Executive Committee and other agency cadres with experience in local government and development. These interview panels, comrades, will be considering candidates' capabilities, their experience, their competencies, and all that will be looked at and weighed up to see how best they are going to be capable to do their work. Yes, of course, it will also include the extent to which they have learned anything, qualification-wise, or by experience, or whatever. That is going to be 
fourthly, to strive each and every day to improve the lives of the people of our country, the people that they serve. Comrades, we are starting now to implement our electoral mandate and working to ensure that communities start to feel the difference in their lives. And immediate priority in every municipality where we govern is to ensure that all residents have reliable and affordable electricity, water and sanitation. Now through the district development model, we will align the work of the national, provincial and local governments to ensure that planning and budgeting is properly coordinated and service delivery improved. Comrades, the ANC's 54th National Conference in December 2017 provided a directive to the entire leadership and membership of our movement when it said, open code, organizational renewal is an absolute and urgent priority. And we may go as far as to say it's essential to the survival of our great movement, close quote. Now, comrades, now that these elections results, we also have a clear mandate from the people of South Africa for fundamental renewal and rebuilding. As the ANC, as I've been saying, comrades, we are not discouraged by the results of these elections because we are not defeated. We are not despondent or defeated. Comrades, we will continue to show confidence that we have won. We control 167. We control. Yes, we have a majority in 167. And the next one only has something like 15. That is phenomenal. Now, don't go around with hanging your head down. We have a setback. What we've gone through, comrades, is a setback. And we know the reason for this setback. It's not like we need to go and employ analysts and so forth. We know the reason for the setback, so it is a setback. And as we used to say in the trade union movement, the working class will go from setback to setback and setback, but ultimately the working class will be victorious. The same applies to the African National Congress. This is a setback for us, but we are also quite victorious because we are going to set up municipalities in a number of places and we are going to appoint mayors and our councillors are going to get down to work with immediate effect. So comrades, the instruction from the National Executive Committee is the people of South Africa have spoken, they've spoken clearly and powerfully about what we need to do to regain their trust and to earn their support. 
We are more determined, the NEC said, than ever before to unite our movement, to correct our mistakes, to root out corruption and nepotism, and to be more accountable and to be more responsive to the needs of our people. Through everything that we do now, we will show that we are serious about fixing local government and that we are determined to build the ANC as an ever more effective instrument of meaningful and lasting change. There are many challenges that lie ahead for me, and there is much work to be done. But as the African National Congress, we are fully committed to do what the people of this country expect us to do and demand of us. From the formation of the various governments in all the areas which we control, to getting into discussion seriously, to form coalition governments, and to implement the will of our people. This the ANC will do with immediate effect. Manda! Manda! Viva ANC Viva! Viva ANC Viva! Thank you, Tommy.
This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Hello and welcome to the world today. I'm Richard Nsai in Nairobi. Here's what's ahead. Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden look to hold their first virtual summit next week. And negotiations into climate change deal to continue Saturday after summit missed Friday deadline. Sudan's Khartoum state announces closure of bridges ahead of planned demonstrations on Saturday. Once again, welcome to the world today. Let's begin with China-U.S. relations as Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with U.S. President Joe Biden via video link on Tuesday, Beijing time. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says the two presidents will exchange views on ties and issues of mutual concern. The summit gives an opportunity for both leaders to try to cooperate on global issues. CGTN's Nathan King looks at what's at stake for this high-profile meeting. While running for president, Joe Biden said he'd met President Xi many times and knew him well. But after 10 months in office, the two leaders of the world's two biggest economies have had just two phone calls. While politically opposite to the Trump administration, the Biden White House has largely continued hostile policies against China, from keeping in place trade tariffs to building military and diplomatic alliances in the Asia-Pacific region that Beijing says are designed to contain China. The first meeting between Chinese and U.S. top diplomats in Alaska this March was rancorous. Washington openly critical of China over Hong Kong, Xinjiang and Taiwan, China accusing the U.S. of violating China's sovereignty. The Biden administration has also pushed, with limited success, allies in Europe to sideline China and Chinese companies in supply chains, technology and trade, and to pressure Beijing on human rights too. The revival of the so-called Quad grouping of India, Japan, Australia and the U.S., with the first ever Leaders' Summit held at the White House in September, also helped to raise tensions. Well, good morning from Australia. And in the same month, a new security pact with Australia and the UK, known as AUKUS, and it plans to deliver nuclear submarines to Canberra and cooperate on military technology going forward. And tensions over Taiwan have also escalated. The US has deployed military trainers to the island. Beijing and the US and its allies have increased military activity in the Taiwan Strait. The US adherence to the One China policy was also called into question after President Biden indicated a possible security guarantee for Taipei. That has since been walked back. I've spoken with Xi about Taiwan. We agree we will abide by the Taiwan agreement. That's where we are. And we made it clear that I don't think he should be doing anything other than abiding by the agreement. But amid the tension, some signs of a diplomatic thaw. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi met recently with U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan for six hours of talks in Switzerland. China and the U.S. also released a surprise statement of cooperation on climate change at the COP26 meetings in Glasgow. And the release of Huawei Executive Meng Wanzhou from Canadian custody also helped ease tension somewhat. The U.S. has also renewed its presence at the ASEAN, East Asian and APEC summits. 
but has not joined any of the regional trade packs that are helping drive the Asia-Pacific's economic recovery. While this meeting or summit success is far from guaranteed, it comes potentially at an auspicious time after the climate talks in Glasgow, Scotland, and also uh, the intense Asian diplomacy about the economic recovery. Also, just hot on the heels of the sixth plenum of the 19th Party Congress in China, which charts China's development future. Now, while both countries agree that they can compete vigorously against each other, they and the world knows that the planet is better off where the two biggest economies and powers in the world cooperate. Nathan King, CGTN, at the White House. Let's turn our attention to Sudan now, where the United States and European powers have denounced the naming of a new ruling council led by Sudan's military leader. They have urged restoring Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak and the civilian-led transitional government. General Abdal Fattah El-Brohan, who dissolved the government on October 25th, named a new transitional council on Thursday, reappointing himself as the head. The council excludes the main bloc, demanding a transfer to civilian rule. The U.S., EU, Britain, Norway, and Switzerland said in a joint statement that they were, quote, gravely concerned by the move and that it complicated efforts to restore transition to democracy. They also urged security forces to respect the rights of Sudanese citizens to freely express their views, close quote, ahead of another round of demonstrations planned for Saturday. The chief of the World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said on Friday that people from his home region of Tigray in northern Ethiopia were dying of hunger and lack of access to medicine because of what he called a systematic blockade. People are dying because of lack of supplies. We cannot send supplies and medicine to Tigray because it's under blockade and the blockade is systematic. So no medicine, people are dying, no food, people are starving, no telecommunication, they're isolated from the rest of the world. Gabriel who was Ethiopia's former
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.